Well, good morning. So before I get started, I want to uh, recommend a couple of resources that I have found helpful in uh, preparing for uh, this sermon and what the scripture has to say and what Proverbs has to say about friendship. Uh, the first one is a, a small book called True Friendship by Von Roberts. Uh, really good, especially for like high school students, really easy to read. Uh, another one is called The Art of Being a Good Friend by uh, Hugh Black. Uh, very practical and uh, very good. So I'm really excited to talk about this subject because as a culture, friendship isn't really we discuss very often as a subject, or at least not in American culture. We don't really have conversations about like, what is friendship? What is a friend? What does it mean to be a good friend or for someone to be a good friend to you? There's an English publication who once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. And among the thousands of answers they received were the following one who multiplies joys and divides grief, one who understands our silence, a watch which beats true for all time and never runs down. But here's the definition that won the prize, a friend, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And that last definition makes me reflect on what this past year has been like. Due to COVID, and even a lot of the political climate that we're witnessing right now, we've had a lot of people going out, but few, if any, coming in. We've been more isolated than we ever have been. And friendship, more than any other kind of relationship, has suffered because the, most people don't live with people that they would consider or call friends. Most people live with their families. And so as we move forward, in these uncertain times, it's now more than ever that I think we need to hear what the Bible has to say about friendship. And I want to begin by starting with what the Bible's principles and characteristics of friendship are between people, and then I'll move on to talk about what the Bible has to say about friendship with God and friendship with Christ. So the first principle that we see uh, in Proverbs and in Scripture, number one, is that friendship is necessary. Friendship is necessary. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, or some translations say acts selfishly. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Our modern culture often portrays romance and sexuality as the highest forms of love and as a necessary ingredient in order to have a fulfilled and happy life. However, ancient cultures like Greeks and the Romans and uh, the ancient Hebrew culture, and like we see in the Bible, often portrays friendship as the highest form of love and necessary to live well. For example, in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, Scripture says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they, fell, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Of course, all this is an outgrowth of what we're told in Genesis 2.18, that it is not good for man to be alone. And so imagine for a minute a world without friendship. Imagine that every relationship you had consisted of either family, coworkers, neighbors, etc., but no friends. And imagine that within each of these relationships, the element of friendship disappeared. Without friendship, 
Marriage can still have godly qualities like sacrificial love, physical intimacy, duty and fidelity, etc. But without friendship in a marriage, you lose a lot of the joy and the pleasure that you get from simply being around your spouse. Uh, similarly with siblings, normally you grow up in the same home, have the same parents, have a shared set of experiences as children, and a duty to care for one another should something happen. But these factors by themselves can produce siblings who are best friends and siblings who are completely at odds with one another. And so think about how friendship fits into other relationships, like coworkers or neighbors. Friendship is not intrinsically necessary to, for any of these relationships to be established, but when you think about it, friendship is actually a lot of the oil which makes these relationships run smoothly and makes them enjoyable to experience. Because although friendship is its own type of relationship, it can infiltrate into virtually any other relationship as well. So you see that friendship is necessary to our lives if we are going to enjoy it in the way that God wants us to. But what about pure friends, those people who you aren't related to, don't work with, or aren't obligated to see on a day-to-day -day basis? What is the basis of these relationships? In part, it comes down to choice. Unlike family, you don't choose which family you're born into. Friends, on the other hand, are people whom you choose to associate with. You choose to do similar activities together. You choose to be with them because you enjoy being around them or just because you enjoy who God has made them to be. And these kinds of friends are also necessary to the Christian life because these are often the people that you choose to become close with, that you confess your sins to, and ultimately who, you, who can hold you accountable to your calling in Christ. And this leads me to the second principle of friendship. Number two is choose your friends wisely. This is what Mr. Banana was talking about. And so to the youth, I especially want to emphasize this point. Choosing good friends is really important for a couple of reasons. The first is because friends influence you. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. First Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Friends are formative on our character and who we become as people. This is especially true when we're younger because our friends are the people we spend a lot of time around and whom we form deeper bonds with. Because of the relationship that you build, good friends, especially those who strive to be more like Christ, will influence you similarly to be like them and thus to be more like Christ. Bad friends can have the opposite effect. Bad friends can pressure you to go to that party that you know you shouldn't go to. Bad friends can pressure us to gossip or engage in locker room talk. Bad friends will ask you to let them cheat off your homework, for example. Friends influence who you become as a person. The second reason why we need to be wise in choosing our friends is because bad friends can lead you to harm. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Notice how it doesn't say that com the companion of fools will become foolish, even though I think that's true but it says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Bad friends can also be dangerous. 
Bad friends can lead you into situations or uh, into things like abusing substances like drugs or alcohol or other activities that might put your life or well-being at risk. Bad friends can also betray you or hurt you when you're vulnerable, like Rusty. <laughs> Proverbs 25:19, trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. The character of our friends matters a great deal. Now, some people might want to draw the false conclusion from this that because we need to be wise in choosing our friends that we therefore shouldn't be friends with non-believers non or non-Christians, but actually quite the opposite. Jesus himself was said to be a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And God calls us to be in the world, which will include making friends with those in the world, but he also calls us not to be of the world. In Luke 16, we're told in the parable of the dishonest manager to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into, etern into eternal dwellings. Being in the world, again, will involve becoming friends with non-Christians, if for no other reason, so that we can share the gospel, the greatest news that there is. But even then, since everyone, Christian or not, bears God's image, there is still goodness in the relationship that is formed and in the enjoyment of another person's company. Scripture just cautions us to use wisdom in choosing our friends and whom you spend your time with, whom you open up to, and ultimately who you trust. And because of this, Proverbs also tells us, and this is number three, beware of false friends. Beware of false friends. And there's a couple kinds of false friends that Proverbs discusses. The first one is a person that is only friends with you because of what you offer them. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. The Greek philosopher Aristotle called relationships like these friendships of utility. Utility. You both offer something useful to each other, but as soon as that stops being true, then the friendship dies. And while we can form relationships like these, such as in business, this isn't really what the Bible has in mind when it thinks about true friendship. We also see in Proverbs 19, verses 4 and 7, a different kind of false friend. It says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. The term for what is being described here in these verses is called a fair-weather friend. That's someone who is there for you when times are good, i.e. when the weather is fair, like we have right now, or when they get something out of the relationship, but as soon as times get tough, they're nowhere to be found. In contrast, the Bible describes true friendship as constant, like Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. And likewise, it says in Proverbs 27:10, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. True friends will be there for you when our circumstances are challenging, like when we're struggling in our marriage, or when we're doubting our faith, or when there's a sudden health issue that's discovered, or when we're going through financial trouble, or when a family member passes away. One qu question raised by uh, Von Roberts in his book on true friendship is that, that I think is worth reflecting on here is whether your schedule is structured in such a way that if a friend needed some of your time, if they needed to call you so that you could pray for them, do you have that space in your schedule? Or is your schedule so jam-packed that it prevents you from loving your friends, from being a true and constant friend in their life? 
So now that we've covered these first few principles of friendship, I want to move on to addressing specific qualities that we should look for in friendship, especially in how we are to be a friend to others. So there's going to be five characteristics of friendship I'm going to highlight. The first is loyalty and faithfulness. This is the defining characteristic of friendship. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. More than any other theme which Scripture talks about in connection with friendship is this quality of loyalty. When we think of loyalty, we think of someone who's got your back, like in a fight or something like that, or someone who is there for you when you need it. Someone who is for you and for your good. And when used in connection with friendship, the word loyalty comes from the word chesed. And that's the word we often hear in connection in describing God's generous, loyal, covenantal love and kindness towards us and his people. For example, in Job 6.14, he says, He who withholds kindness, or chesed, from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But I also want us to think a little bit more deeply about what it means to be loyal to your friends. In Scripture, we see that loyalty often comes at great sacrifice to the person showing the loyalty. For example, David and Jonathan, they're kind of the prototypical example of friendship in the Bible. We see that Jonathan gives his love and his loyalty to David, despite the fact that his own father, Saul, the king, was trying to kill David. I mean, talk about awkward hey, David, my dad's trying to kill you again. Sorry about that. (laughs) But nevertheless, because of their strong loyalty to one another, and particularly because of Jonathan's loyalty to David, they're portrayed as having one of the deepest friendships. Another example is what we see between Ruth and Naomi, when the safe and easier thing would have been for Ruth to return to her father's house after her husband passed away. She insisted on staying by Naomi's side. She said, where you go, I will go, and where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. That's the kind of love and loyalty that Scripture calls us toward in regard to our friends. It may not look exactly the same way or in every situation, but the principle is there that loyalty often comes at great cost, and it's important that we are loyal to our friends. Loyalty and friendship also consists of being trustworthy, and this is the second quality, is trustworthiness. Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. In Proverbs 16.20, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Gossip kills friendship. In the church, we can have a tendency to overshare other secrets under the guise of sharing prayer requests or trying to do something we think is for their own good. But this is usually not the case. Gossip can even occur unintentionally. Someone confides in an elder who then confides in his wife, who then confides in her best friend, who then confides in her spouse, who then confides in his best friend, and before you know, the circle got much bigger and much larger than the original friend ever intended it to be all while every one of these people was sharing something with a person they thought was trustworthy. And while there are a couple exceptions, like if someone poses a danger to themselves, the ability to keep confidence and a secrecy is a treasure to have in a friendship. And likewise, trust, loyalty, and friendship are built through honesty. This is the third quality, is honesty. 
Sometimes honesty is one of the more difficult parts of friendship. It's easy to have superficial friendships where all you do is have fun together. And don't get me wrong, having a good time is a wonderful part of friendship. But if that's all your friendship consists of, you will probably find your relationships to be somewhat shallow. Real friendship requires honesty to be truly known by our friends. And this includes being able to open up about a difficulty in your life, or a weakness that you have, or a temptation that you're battling, and to reveal your hopes and dreams and fears. But such things can feel threatening. Will I truly be accepted if this fact is known about me? And I've certainly dealt with that fear plenty of times in my own life. But Scripture tells us that honesty and openness is the way we gain genuine fellowship and friendship with one another. Proverbs 28:13: whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. At the same time, honesty isn't just about opening up about yourself. Sometimes the more difficult part of being honest and loyal to your friends means telling them something they don't want to hear. Whether that's confronting them about a sin in their life, correcting a wrong-headed idea that they might be holding to, or just giving them a reality check about something. But to tell someone how you truly feel or think can also feel risky, like you might threaten the relationship, especially when you're afraid that what you say could offend the person. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 tells us, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This type of honesty is something that is especially challenging for me. As someone who just, in general, hates confrontation and feels some, sometimes insecure in my relationships or in my friendships, telling a friend something they don't want to hear is difficult. Just recently, a good friend of mine recently posted something on Facebook that didn't seem honoring to his Christian witness. I wanted to say something, but was hesitant because I didn't want him to get mad at me. But I ended up messaging him privately saying, hey, I don't think this reflects well in your Christian witness. And although he was a little defensive about it at first, he later called me to apologize, and we were able to talk through it and work things out. And as a result, I actually feel much closer to this friend and have a greater degree of respect and trust for them. By virtue of the fact that I was able to muster enough courage to confront my friend, and also because he had the humility to accept it, we actually became better friends. Of course, all these things are to be done with gentleness and respect, as Scripture tells us, but confrontation can be just as crucial as confession is to friendship. Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of friendship comes when we can be fully open and transparent with one another. When we know that we can be seen and known by another, then we can experience the true love and fellowship that God intends for us. This leads me to the fourth quality, which is that friendship is intimate. Friendship is intimate. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. True friendship is not measured in the quantity of friends, but in their quality. In, in the Bible, a close friend is described as someone, quote, who is as your own soul. 
In David and Jonathan's relationship, after David defeated Goliath, it is said that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Have you ever had a friend that you just immediately clicked with and got along really well with right away? I imagine that's what happened when Jonathan, the prince, saw David, the shepherd, after he killed Goliath. He not only saw a fellow warrior, he saw a warrior who had a zeal to fight and defend the honor of Yahweh, of God, and who had incredible faith that God would deliver his enemies into his hands. And this is what provided that solid foundation to their friendship and what caused Jonathan's soul to be knit together with David's. But what does intimacy look like practically? Well, let's look at what Scripture records. Proverbs 25, verse, or chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Intimacy can look like knowing and understanding each other deeply. Before your friend even says something, you know what they're thinking. And when they're wrestling with something, you can help them understand what they're experiencing, even when they may not realize it themselves. Of course, while intimacy can be a result of knowing and understanding, it can take other forms as well. Let's look again at David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, Saul is again plotting to kill David. And after Jonathan conveys the plot to David at great risk to himself, Scripture records that David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. You wonder why the author included this detail. To the plot of the story, it seems like almost like an unnecessary detail to include. Kind of like when John says that the one disciple ran faster than the other. But this detail serves to show the depth of the bond and the intimacy that they had and how they expressed it with one another physically. When Jonathan died in battle, David lamented for his friend this way. He said, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. I mean, what a statement to make. And we know that David was no stranger to women. But especially in light of our modern culture, which relegates friendship to this second or third tier relationship and reserves the greatest intimacy for sexual relationships. Because of this, some authors will actually say that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship, but such an interpretation completely misunderstands the depth of intimacy that the Bible allows for in friendship. It's also for this reason that we can have trouble with intimacy in our own friendships today, especially men. If we're dealing with emotional intimacy, we can write that off as just being, oh, that's women's territory. And if we are talking about physical intimacy, we're talking, you know, we're comfortable like slapping a teammate's butt in football, but as soon as a friend is in pain or it can be challenging for a lot of men to just put their arm around them or to let someone cry on their shoulder or to give them a hug for fear of being called homosexual. Obviously, I'm not saying that intimacy always has to look any one particular way, but my point is that fear is often a deterrent to intimacy and that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way in the church. Finally, the last quality of friendship I'll discuss is forgiveness. Friendship is forgiving. Because of the deep intimacy that can occur in a friendship, these are often the people who can also hurt us the most. David laments in Psalm 55, 20 to 21, 
My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. When a breach in trust like that occurs, a strong resentment can develop. Like it says in Proverbs 18:19, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. But genuine friendship is forgiving. On a practical level, Proverbs tells us that a part of forgiveness is about letting bygones be bygones and not digging up the past. Proverbs 17:9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And friend or not, for a Christian, Forgiveness is not optional. It's central to the gospel. Jesus told his disciples, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And God's heart is not only for forgiveness, but where possible, reconciliation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We must also acknowledge, though, that in some cases, friends can break our trust to such an extent that maintaining a friendship with that person is not wise, or that complete reconciliation is not always possible. In such cases, though, even if the the friendship does not continue, forgiveness is still not optional. And the gospel shows us that God's heart is to pursue reconciliation where possible. Like it says in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So before I move on, let me just quickly summarize these points. One is that friendship is necessary. Two, choose your friends wisely. Three, beware of false friends. And then the five characteristics of friendship which Scripture highlights are loyalty, honesty, trustworthiness, intimacy, and forgiveness. Of course, as detailed as this list is, it's not exhaustive by any means, not by a long shot. But having now discussed what friendship looks like between people, this should lead us to ask the question, where does God fit into friendship? Friendship is ultimately founded within the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in perfect relational unity. And this is because all loves, friendship included, can be traced back to God, for whom love is an essential attribute. As John wrote, God is love. In addition to that, God, even in his holiness and transcendence, is said in Scripture to enter into friendship with man. Three times in Scripture, Abraham is called friend of God. James 2.23 is one of these. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Likewise, with Moses, Exodus 33.11 tells us, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Both Moses and Abraham had a friendship with God. So how are we, as people, able to be in a friendship with the Most High God? And first, we must realize that friendship with God is initiated by God. And this is because friendship with God is contingent on being in a covenantal relationship with God. Probably one of the most important verses on friendship with God is Psalm 25:14. It says, "The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant." 
In that verse, we see that God is the one initiating. He makes known to them His covenant. And this is the pattern throughout Scripture. God initiates and calls us into covenantal relationship with Him. We see that Abraham, Moses, the nation of Israel, and ultimately with the church through Christ, God is the one who initiates. He calls them into a covenantal relationship. But there's also another side to friendship with God. We see it in the first half of the verse, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. In the totality of God's friendship with us, again, He is the one who initiates, establishes, and maintains friendship. But from our perspective, in order to experience the fullness of God's friendship and intimacy, it requires us to fear Him and to obey Him. Jesus Himself told His disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So we might ask ourselves, you know, why haven't I experienced friendship with God? That's something I've certainly asked myself. One answer could be, maybe you have, but you just haven't called it friendship. If you have ever experienced relationality with God, then you've experienced God's friendship. And if you've been a recipient of God's covenantal love and goodness and kindness, which all of us have as Christians, then you've also been a recipient of God's friendship. Of course, there could be other reasons, but one other possibility that Scripture mentions is that maybe there's unacknowledged or unrepentant sin in your life. Sin is the very antithesis of friendship with God. In James 4.4, it reads, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Even though God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, God is not friends with the world. And to enter into friendship with God is to renounce our friendship with the world and all of its desires. So with all this being said, let us look to the one who perfectly modeled friendship on earth and in heaven and has made possible friendship for us with God, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as the God-man, was able to perfectly exemplify every aspect of friendship. As the second person of the Trinity, he always had a perfect friendship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. But when he came in flesh as a human, he is also able to embody what friendship looked like between people as well. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus was close friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In John 11, we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And after Lazarus had died, he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Jesus was such close friends with them that after Lazarus died, even knowing that he was going to raise him back to life, he was still deeply moved at the grief of his sisters and wept for his death. But we also see Jesus have close friendships with his disciples, especially John, the one self-described as the beloved disciple and the one who reclined on Jesus at dinner. If you have your Bibles handy, turn to John 15, 12 through 15. John 15, 12 through 15. In his final hours before he was arrested, This is what Jesus told his disciples, John 15, 12 through 15, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Yet again, we see that contrary to our culture, what is held as the greatest form of love is not sex or romance, but to lay down one's life for a friend. And this isn't said to the denigration of sex or romance, both of which are good. But since our culture idolizes those things as the pinnacle of relational fulfillment, this can offer a helpful corrective to our thinking and in how we approach our friendships. He also said again, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus here is speaking as God and emphasizing the importance of obedience to friendship with God. In friendship between equals, you can't demand obedience from a friend. But in friendship with God, obedience is a right thing for God to ask for. And then again, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This is probably one of the greatest statements in Scripture on friendship because it shows the degree of intimacy and openness that Jesus ascribes to friendship. He'd made known to his friends all that he heard from his father. And this allowed his disciples not only to have friendship and intimacy with Christ, but also through revelation through Christ, have intimacy and friendship with the father. And in this, we see a picture of the gospel. Through Christ and through our friendship with him, we gain friendship with the rest of the Godhead. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus has become the mediator of the new covenant through which God has initiated and established friendship with his people and through which we can approach the throne of grace. And this is also evidenced by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as a sign of his friendship and as a guarantee of our eternal inheritance. It is through the gospel that we see God's faithfulness and loyalty, his trustworthiness, his honesty and truthfulness, his intimacy, and ultimately his forgiveness. And because of friendship, or because of the friendship that we have with, or through Christ with God, this also opens a door to friendship with everyone who is a part of that same covenant the church. Professor Carl Bridges says, if one can be a friend of God or of God's son, this friendship can extend as well to others who are also friends of God. Christian friendship finds its basis in the friendship between each believer and God. Christian friendship, or spiritual friendship as it's sometimes called, is a gift which God gives to us. Because we share the most fundamental aspect of our lives in common, and commonality is a huge part of friendship, this creates ample opportunity for friendship to exist where none otherwise would. And that's the beauty of the church. I've met and become friends with so many people here whom I would have relatively little else in common with and who I would not run into in my daily life. But because we have Christ in common, that opens up doors to so many aspects and avenues of relationship. Of course, having other things in common like hobbies only enriches and deepens the intimacy that you can have with one another, but such things are no substitute for having Christ in common with another person. And so in closing, I do want to offer one word of caution that's been particularly hard for me to learn this past year in the times of isolation. 
As much as the Bible points us towards the richness and the depth that friendship with other people offers us, friendship with others is no substitute for friendship with God. Through the challenges of the past year, God has revealed to me the hard way, namely through conflict with other friends or, and just being isolated from everyone, that I had made an idol out of my friends and were wanting them to meet needs that only God could. And as much as God made human relationships to satisfy our relational longings, none of them can take the place of relational intimacy with God himself. And this is true of friendship. This is true of marriage. This is true of any relationship. No matter how much we might want them to, those other people cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, which God is meant to fulfill. And so my charge to you today is to seek and build better friendships with God and better friendships with one another. A better friendship with God will help you to be a better friend to others. And having a better friendship uh, with others will draw you closer to God. These, these are the kinds of friends who can pray with you, speak truth into your life, bear your burdens, multiply your joys, and rejoice when you rejoice. And through Christ, friendship with God and friendship with others work in tandem with one another. So if your friendships with others have been languishing, renew them. If your friendships have been broken, pray for how God might bring healing to them. And if you have great friendships, then rejoice all the more and don't take those friendships for granted. Friendship takes time, friendship takes effort, but the rewards of good friendship will make the cost seem like nothing. If you desire deeper, deeper intimacy with God, uh, we'll have a prayer team under the tree, I presume, over there. Um, they would love to pray with you or talk with you more about that. Let us seek friendship, church. Let's pray. God, thank you for entering into friendship with us when none of us deserve friendship with you. God, thank you for sending your son to make that friendship possible. And Lord, thank you for the intimacy and the friendship that you have opened with one another because of the friendship that we have with you through your covenant and through your sacrifice. God, I just ask for any of us, if we need to be reconciled, if we need to reach out to a friend that we've, that we've had on our mind that we just haven't made the effort, Lord, I just pray that we would follow your Spirit's leading in all these situations. And I pray that our friendship with you and with one another would be strengthened. In your name I pray, amen.